already excited about that. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Now we want to make our guest welcome. And uh, you make them feel welcome. One of the things that our church is noted for is family atmosphere, if you have not noticed. We uh, like to work uh, with uh, the young, the youth, and our program is to teach them how to worship God in the house of God, teach them Scripture, and why is that Scripture is going to help them in the dark days ahead. Uh, we have uh, plenty of entertainment. We have uh, uh, plenty of gadgets, but what we're lacking today is a way to get in touch with the Lord Jesus Christ, which is really uh, what church is about, is getting people in touch with the Lord, but then learning how to work together uh, as an instrument in unison, uh, playing God's music. So if you take your Bible to Ephesians, we've been in a series of messages, and I am eventually will get into a series on helping put fragmented families together. Uh, it is a growing need in today's culture, and it, it is a, a necessary ministry uh, to be able to point folks back to the Bible uh, and uh, to help them and share with them what God uh, has given to put fragmented families together. And you don't necessarily have to be a divorcee to have a fragmented family. I know of many uh, couples that are married that are fragmented. And so it's about putting uh, that family in harmony. And I was thinking about this uh, last night as I meditated on, on the book. And, uh, you know, uh, it was, uh, it, it's on that principle of sowing and reaping. If you want to reap right, you got to sow right. I, I know it's simple, but it's profound. Uh, here's what goes along with that. Sometimes people, there are seasons to life. And if you're in a harvest season and you don't like your harvest, that's what's being poured out on you. Uh, a lot of times I get involved at that, about that area. And one of the problems is, is you're going to have to ride that harvest out until the end of harvest. And it'll have to come to its completion but then what you need to prepare for is that future because you're going to begin to sow again. And so if you want to reap right, you'll have to sow right. And when you begin to sow right, you'll reap right. I also thought about it like this. If you want to go in the right direction or end up in the right destination, you can't go in the wrong direction. And if you're doing wrong, you'll never do right. These things are simple, but that's how God is. Because God says that we reap what we sow. And uh, today, this growing need in our homes. And we started with, uh, uh, if you're in a survival situation, you're going to need four things to survive. Number one, the first priority is you need water. And we shared from the scriptures how that the Lord Jesus Christ said that he is the water of life. That is the first foundation that you must set in your life if you're going to be a wise man. Remember, Jesus said there's wise men and foolish men. The wise men build their house upon the rock. 
and when the winds blow and the rains come and the floods rise, that that house will stand. But he said, foolish people build their homes on sand. And sand is, one of the things about sand is sand is shifty. It changes. And when the rains come and the floods come and the wind blows, that house is going to fall. It's going to be destroyed. So that first foundation in your life, if you want to uh, live the life as God intended, you're going to have to have the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first foundation. But then you're going to have to come to the second cornerstone. Jesus is the chief. The second cornerstone, because we're building a house. And as I told you uh, last few weeks, I'm simple. And so uh, a house has four main corners. And so we come to that second cornerstone, which is family. God instituted family. And that is likened unto uh, you need water and you're going to need uh, uh, shelter. Family is likened to shelter. And you're going to need shelter if you're in a survival situation. Uh, you do not want to succumb to the elements. Hyperthermia is a real thing. Uh, cold winter, uh, you get wet. You're going to need some shelter if you're in, living in the wild. So home, you're going to need family uh, in this uh, life. You're going to need family. Uh, you need a, a husband. We define that from the Bible. A husband, a man, and a, and a woman. And then uh, that was uh, marriage was made for uh, companionship. Remember, right in Egypt, uh, there in Genesis, companionship, completion. Uh, men are incomplete and they need a help meet. That word help meet means completer. Doesn't say that about the ladies. We won't go there. That's a, a different message. Uh, but the ladies know where I'm going. <laughs> they don't need a completer. <laughs> God looked at the, the man. He's the prototype, says, you know, I can do better. And he made a woman. I, I've, I've heard all that, and that makes for probably good preaching, but uh, not this morning. <laughs> so we'll move on. But you need that shelter, family. But sometimes, because of the culture we live in, because of sin is in the world, families are broken. God knew that this would happen, and so God, uh, their third cornerstone, the third corner in your house is church. And we've been talking about church because you're going to need food. But the church is not just food, it is shelter. Uh, we, some of us, have lived uh, different walks of life and maybe come from uh, uh, no families or families are gone or had bad families. And so the church, you get born again and you say, I, I really don't have that second cornerstone. But then all of a sudden there's church and it's important because God instituted the church also. And the church is to help you. Uh, it, it is to example what family is to be about. And that's kind of why I made that statement about uh, the Valentine's breakfast. Uh, I wasn't really planning on having one. Uh, but uh, because we're to be submission, in submission to one another, and uh, love as Christ would love and give ourselves for the church, you're like, you know what, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> and it's okay. Instead of rising up and saying, well, you know, I'm the pastor and I said no, and that, does it, that just means no, that, that's... Uh, you're not going to run your house too well if that's how it always is, men. <laughs> uh, and anybody that's been married more than 30 years, they, they, they understand that principle. And 
the man of God, according to the word of God, says that he needs to be a man that has ruled well his own home. And part of ruling well is knowing you're going to uh, give. You're not going to win every round. You learn how to give and take and how to work with one another. We'll talk about that. And that helps that individual that's come from an, a different walk of life. They come back into the house of the Lord and they're like, I, I, I want family. I want to get married, but I don't know anything about a household. That church is to pull alongside them and that preaching and teaching and what you observe in the house of God and the love that's there teaches you how your home should be. And so last week we were in chapter 5 and we went from verses 1 through verses 18 and we seen that uh, number one, to make a church run correctly and he says this is going to work for the church and for the home that the attention has to be right in the home and in the church. Here, our attention must be on the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is the head of the church, and Christ is the sole uh, owner of the church. He purchased it with His own blood. And so Christ must have the preeminence in our worship service. Everything we do is about the Lord. Every song we sing is about Jesus. Every testimony we give is about the goodness and greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every verse of Scripture that we quote is about the Lord. So important. So the attention must be right. And then we see that God give us three questions to ask ourselves to make sure that our attention is in the right place. Number one, we got to walk in love. And then he defines that love. It's a giving love. It's a sacrificial love. But then he says you need to walk in the light as he is in the light. And so that means the light of God's word. And he said also that when you won't walk in the light, you won't want to have fellowship one with another. It's one of the ways to tell. Uh, I mean, have, has your spouse has ever given you the silent treatment? <laughs> that, that means something's not right. And it's best not to let that go on too long. The tension's not right. So we must walk in light. That's another way to test ourselves. But then thirdly, we must walk circumspectly. That means we need to pay attention to where we step. And so now we're going to pick it up here in verse 18. And verse 1, we've seen that he said, Be followers of God. And now he says, verse 18, And be not drunk with wine. It's a command. There should be no questions about alcohol. It's wrong. And he says, don't be drunk. Watch this. We're in his excess. Now here's the command. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so today... We're breaking the church down, this food, this shelter, this third important cornerstone in building your house. We're going to talk about the attitude that's in our church, that needs to be in our church, but the attitude that should be in our homes. And number one, he says, you've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And I want you to note that how each and every one of these cornerstones builds upon the chief cornerstone, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
If you do not have Jesus living in your heart, you're not going to be filled with the right spirit that he's talking about here. And so now we're going to see how he commands us to maintain or to tune ourselves so that we have the right attitude. Attitude is important. Attitude is very important. An individual, and I'll get to reading the text and then we'll pray. An individual could say the truth, and preachers do this. I've been guilty of this in the past, in my younger years. Say 100% the truth, but have the wrong attitude. And what happens when you adopt the wrong attitude in the delivery of preaching as you turn people off? And it becomes argumentative. Uh, It shuts them down because there's one thing I've learned about people is people know how to discern the emotion in the moment. And so we must keep our attitudes right. Now, let's read verses 19 and read down through 28. Then we'll pray and we'll get into how do we tune our attitudes And so it's the right attitude in our church and in our home. He says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts. Who do we do this to? To the Lord. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's this. This bad word, but it applies to all of us. Look at this, husbands and wives and church people, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. You see that? Husbands, did you see that? Before he ever gets to the wife, he makes sure that both of you understand that the proper attitude is be willing to be in submission to one another. I'm going to talk about that here in a little bit. And then he says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, see, he's talking about the church and family. They go hand in hand. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, and he gives the men a double dose. I don't know why that is. I do really, but I want to say that I don't. Men are selfish creatures by nature. Men, if you've ever worked with animals, <laughs> most people that know what they're doing will always request a female. <laughs> they're not as hard-headed and stubborn as the males. That's right. Yeah, that that comes all the way through. Uh, Even men. Men are are hard-headed, stubborn. And uh, they they have a great tendency to be selfish. And so the Lord's giving you double dose here. Husbands, you love your wives. Now, how are we to do this? Even as Christ also loved the church, and he always is going to explain what kind of love and gave himself for it. So God's love is a giving love. It's not a taking love. It's a giving love. As we seen last week, it was a sacrificing love. Willing to sacrifice your wants, your desires, what you want to spend money on to, to, for your wife. 
Now, I should be getting a lot of amens out of the ladies in that. Really, I, I should be. Because God gives the men a double dose because men have that tendency to be selfish. Uh, and they, they don't love the way God loves. They got a different kind of a love. But God's love is a giving love and a sacrificing love. And here's why. Verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men, he's on the men again, to love their wives. How? As their own bodies. Oh my. And then he throws this in there. And he says, For he that loveth his wife loveth himself, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh. No, I don't say no very often to a biscuit or a cookie. <laughs> uh, you know, even if I'm on a diet, I, I would never get too angry with myself if I slip and have an afternoon donut, even on a diet. And that's how you're supposed to act to your wife, which she might expend just a little extra money. Uh, it'll be, you know, that you would not elevate your anger no more than you would elevate it on yourself when you've had that afternoon donut and not told nobody. I generally can't keep secrets, so. But he says he nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. Now, we're going to talk about that next week, because that'll be the third message. There's a lot there in those two words on cherishing and nourishing, and it's to the men. But it also is to the church and how we're to be with one another. Now, let us pray, and let's get into how to have the right attitude in the church and in our homes, and the importance of it. Our gracious Father, we come, we thank you. Lord, help us today. Uh, Lord, uh, uh, fill me with the Holy Spirit of God, and let the Holy Spirit illuminate the Scripture this morning. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. As we see here, this right attitude that we begin to pick up in verse 19 when he commands us to be filled with the Spirit. And I said last week, it's real hard to spend time with God in prayer. I mean intense prayer and to try to be mean to other people because God is going to rub off on you if you've spent enough time with him. And it's real hard to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God and to be mean-spirited. Say, well, I know people that are pretty mean-spirited. That means they've not been with God. They've been with the devil. The devil's mean-spirited. And so God's children should be spending time with God. And I will tell you this, husbands and wives, in the home it's so important to have the right atmosphere in your home, to have the right attitude in our homes. And you say, how do we do that? Well, he's talking about your posture. He's talking about your spirit. He's talking about the manner in which you conduct yourselves. He's talking about your tuning because he talks about music. Now, I don't know if you know uh, anything about tuning or instruments. I'm sure you know enough this morning to let me demonstrate or to talk about music as an example of the importance of the right tuning. I think everybody would understand that if we were going to put two instruments together, if one of them was turned tuned to 440 hertz, which is what we call standard tuning, which is tuned to C, standard pitch. 
and somebody was turned tuned to 420 or maybe 432 that there would be a problem. The instruments would not ring in unison. If we were to uh, uh, play a song, like I was playing on the piano, and I sang a special, and I sang it in D flat, but if I was to play it in the key of D flat, but tried to sing it in G flat, that would have been really gruesome to try to listen to. It would not have been pleasant. It would have been very disruptive on the ears. And so that instrument, if it is tuned correctly and you hit the note and you're not tone deaf, you should be able to sing in unison. And then there's something in music that we call parts. You have the lead part. You have the tenor part, talking about bluegrass now. And then you got the baritone part. <laughs> you got the alto parts. But the lead is who carries it. That's the head. So you might have a quartet up here, and there's a lead singer who sings the lead note. But then there's going to be a person that sings, I call the harmony, or the tenor. He's going to sing the higher part, but it's in the same key that the lead singer is singing. But now you have the alto, and then you got the bass. They're all singing in the same key, but they're singing at different octaves, and it works together in unison. But here's something else about when you sing parts. I and my brother sang for years. And so my brother Jeremiah, he sang lead. I sang the tenor. Now, one thing about the tenor part, that means my brother was the lead. He went first. He was, uh, 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 what do we call, the head. And then the harmony comes along beside him. Not that the lead is better, but uh, that uh, we're going to work together in unison. And the harmony comes in. And however loud the lead plays, the harmony does not eclipse that. The harmony stays kind of in the background or at the, at the even when you get that out of kelter, it becomes annoying. Same way with the uh, alto and the bass. And when you're mixing music down, your lead, the voices should be out in front. A lot of today's music, you have the drums driving everything. That's improper. That's not a biblical model. That's not Christian model. That's a worldly model. We're not preaching on music. I'm just using it as an illustration. It's important to have the right tuning. It's important to sing in unison together. And that's what God is saying here to the church. Last week I said that we have unity here because we love in the truth. Now in music we have something, if you're old school, and sometimes you'll see me from time to time, I don't have it this morning, thought it was my guitar case, a thing called a tuning fork. On a tuning fork, I have one, it's tuned to the key of A in standard pitch because I'm going to tune my guitar up to it. And I work off the harmonics and I'm going to take the tuning fork, which is the standard. And in what we're talking about, the Bible is the standard. It's the tuning fork. And I'm going to tune the first string on the guitar. I don't care about the E string. I don't care about the B string. I'm going to care about the D string on the seventh fret in the A harmonic. And I'm going to tune that string to that tuning fork. I'm not going to tune it to what I think is right. I'm going to use the tuning fork as the standard word of God. 
how a church functions, to have the right attitude. If the pastor tunes himself with the Word of God all week long, and then I come in on a Sunday, and then once that string is tuned, and it's ringing in harmony, then I tune the next string, which would be the G string. And then you tune the A string. And then you tune the E. And then you tune the B. And you put them together. And they begin to ring in harmony at 440 hertz or 440. Standard pitch. And now the strings, the other strings have come into the tune to the D string on that guitar. If you do not tune your instrument... It will not sound right. But then there's something else that has to happen. If I'm to play in a group context with my brothers, and now we have a mandolin and another guitar, once the one guitar is tuned and everybody tunes up to standard pitch, but then we get together and listen to our instruments together, and then we tune our instruments to each other. That takes submission. Because somebody's going to want to think, my guitar is tuned right. Which is generally me. <laughs> you got to tune to my guitar. But now my ear is not as good as my other two brothers' ears. And so we begin to submit to one another and work with one another to get our instruments into the best tune possible. And because we're playing wood instruments and wood expands and contracts based upon the humidity, we might have to tune a string slightly up or slightly down, and we call that compensation. That's what God's talking about here. That's what happens in the church. It's to work like a family. And in a family in the church, the attitude must be right. And how we make sure our attitude is right is we each, we tune up to the Word of God. We're filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And then we come into here because we're not all the same. God has made us individuals. We begin to tune into each other. And we begin to try to harmonize with each other. And we submit to one another because we have God's love for one another. And we begin to get all tuned up and then we can make music for God churches won't function well if somebody is not in tune that causes church splits it'll drive you mad it'll drive you mad now let's put this in the home setting you got a husband and a wife husbands and wives it's important to have the right attitude. And the right attitude is defined as you're going to have to learn how to tune together. Now, God's already told you that your husband should already be tuned up to God's standard pitch. And that you're going to come in and you're going to tune to him. But then, because a man and a woman, they're both unique creatures and they're different, they begin to compensate for one another. And if the husband sings lead, the wife sings harmony. And sometimes you might switch those parts around, but each person knows their place. Same way with the church. 
Yes, we have pastors. Yes, we have trustees. Yes, we have deacons. Yes, uh, and, and we don't have deacons here, but we'll work on that. But deacons are a biblical office, and they're to come into the tuning of the Word of God and with the pastor, and so are the people. Our churches are a mess today because everybody's got their own tuning. There's a thing called alternate tuning. I was doing a little research. I've done it before, but I did it to freshen my memory. There's a, there, there is a theory that the actual tuning, and it was this way uh, back before the turn of the century, was 432 megahertz. And they say that is the tuning that puts you in tune with the earth. And I stopped about right there because that would be right. It would not be tuned to God's tuning because the earth is under a curse. It fell. And so we have 440 standard pitch. Now the point is what's important is that in a husband and wife relationship, you're going to have to pick a tuning. And if you want to do it God's way, it's got to be God's tuning. And you find that in the Word of God. And then both of you are going to begin to work together in unison. And the Bible says this in Amos, Can two walk together except they be agreed? And I have come to learn that if the home isn't right, the church won't be right. Our church is nothing more than reflections of our homes. If you have strong homes, you'll have a strong church. And one of the ways to strengthen the home is to make sure we have good tuning in our church. And when we tune up to God's pitch, things are going to work in harmony. Two people can't stay married if they are not tuned to each other. You're going one way, he's going another. You've not learned how to work together. Somebody's not yielding to somebody. Churches are like that. One side of the church gets mad because they want blue carpet. The other side of the church gets mad because they want green carpets. And then all of a sudden they fall out over that thing. It's, it's bad. Carpet's not important. Biscuits are. <laughs> Sister Kathy Holly likes hard biscuits. I like soft, fluffy biscuits. So I got to keep my eye on her when she's cooking biscuits. Because there's a rule. Whoever's doing the cooking, it's to their specifications. And there's not a bad biscuit if you got gravy around. I ain't going to say nothing. <laughs> but you got to learn how to work with that. And tune to one another and submit to one another. And that's all done in the love of Christ. But your homes... Our churches, if we're not going to tune to one another, which is tuned in God's tuning, then it'll make the most annoying sound possible, and it will drive you mentally insane. That's what's going to happen. I even said this a couple of weeks ago. Ladies, if you're looking for a mate, and... That man needs to be able to provide four things. Food, housing, clothing, transportation. If he can't do those four things, you don't need to give him a second look. I wouldn't even be talking. He should be able to not only provide those things for himself, but for a family. There's too many people 
that want to throw that aside because I'm in love. And then it'll last about 5, 10, maybe 15 years, and then it blows apart. Because what I've experienced, I'm not saying it happens every time, most wives end up having to become mommy. Men like mommies, you know. Now, sometimes we get into that habit because we taught our children as we, when we had children that we call our wives mom, and that's fine. But it's completely different if you're dysfunctional as a man and as a husband and you can't provide food, shelter, clothing, and transportation. You're not ready for a relationship. You've not transitioned from childhood yet. That's how you know if you're ready for the next step in life. And we're going to talk about this in the weeks to come, that there's a thing that I call the danger zone. It's when you hit 17 years old to the ages from 17 to 27. The decisions that you make in between those two years are going to set your course for life. And you need to know how God has made provision that you make good, sound, right decisions. Because there's a lot of things that people experience that God never intended for you to ever go through. If you just do it God's way, and it's not a hard way. But it is a way based off a of principle. One of the things I've learned that when churches have trouble, one of the two parties is not in tune. And that will be the offending party. So we need to strike a chord. The Bible says here, speaking to yourselves, that's communication. Communication is key in the church and key in our homes. Communicate. Talk, talk, talk. Speaking, if you will not communicate, men, to your wives, you are dismantling your marriage. Wives, if you will not communicate to your husbands, you are dismantling your marriage. Communication is key. I like working with Brother Dennis. We have worked on a couple projects together, uh, especially when we had the tree and we've had some other issues. And there's one thing I've learned about Brother Dennis, and I, I'm careful with name calling, but I can get away with it because I've been here more than five years, is he communicates, communicates, communicates. I like that. Communication is key. And I do my best to communicate with him when we're working on a project together. We check in. Uh, Brother Dave and Sister Karen are that way also. They communicate. Communicate, communicate, communicate. This is what we're doing. We're here. We're going to do this. It's good. It's a thumbs up. It, it's called communication. It's called we need to be in tune together we got to have the right attitude. And one of the ways to do that is to make sure that you communicate. Men, sometimes we can get along on grunts and whistles. Will and I have had some wonderful times on Sunday afternoons. I like Brother Will. Brother Will, if you want to talk, he'll talk. But if you don't want to talk, he won't say a word. 
Sometimes on Sunday when I'm done preaching, I've already said my 5,000 words. Men generally speak about 5,000 words a day. Women speak 10,000. That's why your wife wants to talk twice as much as the men. When a man comes home from work and a woman's just warmed up, she's already had the appetizer. Men, <laughs> you're going to have to learn how to communicate out of your comfort zone. But I'll come on a Sunday afternoon, we've eat lunch, we go into uh, the side room there and we'll come in there and sit with me and we won't say a whole word to each other all day long. Jen and Sass, they'll bring us coffee about three o'clock, maybe some homemade cookies if I can get somebody Sass conned into that. And they bring them on one plate. Will and I really don't say much at all, but I keep my eyes on him because he dare not touch one of my cookies. But then we'll feel refreshed, I'm refreshed, and we haven't really spoken a whole lot. He's great company. But between a husband and a wife, you're going to have to learn how to communicate. It's critical. People can't read your thoughts. Now, he's going to tell you how to communicate. I'm not talking about hollering and screaming. And there should never be hollering and screaming in a business meeting in church, and there won't be, because if I think it ever starts going there, it's going to get shut down. And we haven't had none of, nothing like that, and we don't. I know sometimes when visitors here, we're having a business, they cringe. I can see them. I'm not coming back. When is that? <laughs> not here. It ain't working that way. We love one another. And I'll just tell you straight up, I don't always have the best ideals. <laughs> but I am an ideal stealer. <laughs> don't say much around me. If it's anything to do with a good ideal, I'll have it and it'll be in a message. <laughs> he says, you need to speak to yourselves in songs and hymns. You know, it's hard to be mad, somebody, when you've got a song on your lip sets the right attitude that's how you get it you need to have a song a psalm or a hymn or a spiritual song he didn't say acdc psalms he's telling you what the music program should be in your church i'm surprised that we we just everybody runs around and says, well i just don't really know what kind of music should be in our church psalms and hymns and spiritual songs it's right there in black and white right there that sets the right attitude. It has been said that singing makes the heart ready to receive the message from the Lord. He's talking about a happy heart, a thankful heart. And it's hard to have an attitude of entitlement if you're thankful for what you have. It's hard to be mean when there's a song of joy on your lips but it's also hard to sing if you're mad. And it's impossible to treat others right when you're mad. Submission. Let me give you the definition of that. Surrendering or resigning, yielding or referring to one another for decisions. That's what it is. Ladies had a great ideal. We want the men to cook us breakfast for Valentine's. 
good idea. Plus, I get fed, so win-win. But because the ladies cook for the men on Father's Day, and we generally do that for the ladies on Valentine's Day, you say, what, what was that? That submission, I was having to practice what I preach. I prefer others before me. That's how it's supposed to work. That's how we keep unity and harmony and love. Willing to tune to each other using God's tuning fork. But then he says, verse 25, the right love. I must wind down, but I'll give you these. To have the right tuning to be filled with the Spirit of God, to have the right attitude in our church and in our homes. We're going to have to have a right kind of love. And if you read there in verse 25 and 26 and 27 and 28, you'll find that there is a committed love. Let me give you the difference between committed and involved. The chicken... And the pig had a conversation one day about who was really committed. The chicken said, well, I give eggs for breakfast. And the pig said to the chicken, yeah, but you're just involved in breakfast. I'm actually committed. Bacon. See, that's the kind of love that we're to have for one another, a committed love, an involved love, a love of humility, a servant leadership love, a self-sacrificing love, a sensitive love, a substitutional love, and a single-minded love. That's the kind of love that is to be in the house of God. That's the right attitude, but that is also the right attitude to have in your home. You say, preacher, <laughs> I don't have that. Well, I got news for you. It might go a little while, but it ain't going to go the whole, whole way. And the check engine lights is, is on. Your instrument is out of tune. And I got news for you. You'll go mentally insane trying to listen to an instrument that discords. You will drive each other insane. Can two walk together lest they be agreed? And so it's important that we love in the truth and that we come into God's tuning and then learn to tune to one another to compensate for our individuality so that we can then become the individual strings on God's instrument. He's called the church, his body, to make music to tell others about Christ. Why would the world want to hear our message if we can't tune up? What would drive them mad? They don't want to listen to that. Our homes are in discord because we won't submit to one another. And we don't want to do it God's way. And that's why I started out by saying, if you want to reap right, you must sow right. If you want to go and end up in the right 
destination, you'll have to go in the right direction. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the direction. And he said, but it's narrow and it's straight. And he says, now there's another alternate tuning that's broad and wide. But he says, it's sand and foolish people go that way. But he says, the wise, they go the straight and narrow way. And they do things God's way. And they live wonderful lives. I didn't say they didn't have problems. I'm saying that God will give you grace and rest when you're on His path. Do you have peace? Or are you going mentally insane? You need to tune up to the Lord today. Let's all stand, please.